Volume 2, Chapter 1 <clears throat> The remainder of Anne's time at Uppercross, compre comprehending only two days, was spent entirely at the mansion house, and she had the satisfaction of knowing herself extremely useful there, both as an immediate companion and as assisting in all those arrangements for the future which, in Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove's distressed state of spirits, would have been difficulties. They had an early account from Lyme the next morning. Louisa was much the same. No symptoms worse than before had appeared. Charles came a few hours afterwards to bring a, lad a later and more particular account. He was tolerably cheerful. A speedy cure must not be hoped, but everything was going on as well as the nature of the case admitted. In speaking of the Harvilles, he seemed unable to satisfy his own sense of their kindness, especially of Mrs. Harville's exertions as a nurse. She really left nothing for Mary to do. He and Mary had been persuaded to go early to their inn last night. Mary had been hysterical again this morning. When he came away, she was going to walk out with Captain Bennick, which she hoped would do her good. He almost wished she had been prevailed on to come home the day before, but the truth was that Mrs. Harville left nothing for anybody to do. Charles was to return to Lyme the same afternoon, and his father had at first half a mind to go with him but the ladies could not consent. It would be going only to multiply trouble to the others and increase his own distress, and a much better scheme followed as was acted upon, and was acted upon. A chaise was sent for from uh, Crookhorn, and Charles uh, conveyed back a far more useful person in the old nursery maid of the family, in the old nursery maid of the family, one who, having brought up all the children and seen the very last, the lingering and long-petted master, Harry, uh, sent to school after his brothers, was now living in, in her uh, deserted nursery to mend stockings and dress all the blains and bruises she could get near, and who, consequently, was only too happy in being allowed to go and help nurse dear Miss Louisa. Vague wishes of getting Sarah thither had occurred um, before to Mrs. Musgrove and Henrietta, but without Anne, it would hardly have been resolved on and found practicable to do so. They were indebted the next day to Charles Hayter for all the minute knowledge of Louisa, which it was so essential to obtain every twenty-four hours. He made it his business to go to Lyme, and his account was still encouraging. The intervals of sense and consciousness were believed to be stronger. Every report agreed in Captain Wentworth's appearing fixed in Lyme. Anne was to leave them on the morrow, an event which they all dreaded. What should they do without her? They were wretched comforters for one another. And so much was said in this way that Anne thought she could not do better than impart among them the general inclination to which she was privy, and persuade them all to go to Lyme at once. She had little difficulty. It was soon determined that they would go, go to-morrow, fix themselves at the inn, or get into lodgings as it suited, and there remain till dear Louisa could be moved. They must be taking off some trouble from the good people she was with. They might at least relieve Mrs. Harville from the care of her own children, and in short, they were so happy in the decision that Anne was delighted with what she had done, and felt that she could not spend her last morning at Uppercross better than in assisting their preparations, and sending them off at an early hour, though her being left to the solitary range of the house was the consequence. She was the last, excepting the little boys at the cottage, she was the very last, the only remaining one of um, all that had filled and 
animated the both houses of all that had given Uppercross its cheerful character. A few days had changed much, had made a change indeed. If Louisa recovered, it would all be well again. More than former happiness would be restored. There could be no, not a doubt to uh, her mind there was none of what would follow her recovery. A few months hence, and the room now so deserted, occupied by her silent, pensive self, might be filled again with all that was happy and gay, all that was glowing and bright and prosperous love, all that was most unlike Anne Elliot. An hour's complete leisure for such reflections as these on a dark November day, a small thick rain almost blotting out the very few objects ever to be discerned from the windows, was enough to make the sound of Lady Russell's carriage exceedingly welcome. And yet, though desirous to be gone, she could not quit the mansion house or look or look in adieu to the cottage with its black, dripping, and comfortless veranda, or even notice through the misty glass the last humble tenements of the village of the village without a saddened heart. Scenes had passed in Upper Cross which made it precious. It stood the record of many sensations of pain, once severe but now softened, and of some instances of relenting feeling some breathings of friendship and reconciliation, which could never be looked for again, and which could never cease to be dear. She felt left it all behind her, all but the recollection that such things had been. Anne had never entered Kellynch since, since her quitting Lady Russell's house in September. It had not been necessary, and the few occasions of it being possible for her to go to the hall she had contrived to evade and escape from. Her first return was to resume her place in the modern and elegant apartments of the lodge and to gladden the eyes of its mistress. There was some anxiety mixed with Lady Russell's joy in meeting her. She knew who had been frequenting Uppercross. But happily, either Anne was improved in plumpness and looks or Lady Russell fancied her so, and Anne, in receiving her compliments on the occasion, had the amusement of connecting them with the silent admiration of her cousin and of hoping that she was to be blessed with the second spring of youth and beauty. When they came to converse, she was soon sensible of some mental change. The subject of which her heart had been full on leaving Kellynch, and which she had felt slighted, and been compelled to smother among the Musgroves, were now become but of secondary interest. She had lately lost sight even of her father and sister in Bath. Their concerns had been sunk under those of Uppercross, and when Lady Russell reverted to their former hopes and fears, and spoke her satisfaction in the house in Camden Place, which had been taken, and her regret that Mrs. Clay should still be with them, Anne would have been ashamed to have it known how much more she was thinking of Lyme and Louisa Musgrove and all her acquaintance there. How much more interesting to her was the home and the friendship of the Harvilles and Captain Bennock than her own father's house in Camden Place or her sister's own sister's intimacy with Mrs. Clay. She was actually forced to exert herself to meet Lady Russell with anything like the appearance of equal solicitude on topics which had by nature the first claim on her. There was a little awkwardness at first in their discourse on another subject. They must speak of the accident at Lyme. Lady Russell had not been arrived five minutes the day before when a full account of the whole had burst on her, but still it must be talked of. She must make inquiries. She must regret the imprudent the imprudence, lament the result, the Captain Wentworth's name must be mentioned, and Captain Wentworth's name must, must be mentioned by both. Anne was conscious of not doing it so well as Lady Russell, 
She could not speak the name and look straight forward to Lady Russell's eye till she had adopted the expedient of telling her briefly what she thought of the attachment between him and Louisa. When this was told, his name distressed her no longer. Lady Russell had only to listen composedly and wish them happy, but internally her heart rev reveled in angry pleasure, in pleased contempt that the man who at thirty-three had seemed to understand somewhat of the value of an Anne Elliot would, eight years afterward, be charmed by a Louisa Musgrove. Oh, hold on. No, no, no. That the man who at twenty-three had seemed to understand somewhat of the value of an Anne Elliot should, eight years afterwards, be charmed by a Louisa Musgrove. Big old difference there. The first three or four days passed most quietly, with, an ex with no circumstance to mark them except the receipt of a note or two from Lyme, which found their way to Anne. She could not tell how, and brought a rather improving account of Louisa. At the end of that period, Lady Russell's politeness could repose no longer, and the fainter self-threatenings of the past became, in a decided tone, I must call on Mrs. Croft. I really must call upon her soon. Anne, have you the courage to go with me and pay a visit in that house? It will be some trial to both of us. Anne did not shrink from it. On the contrary, she felt, she truly felt as she said in observing, I think you are very likely to suffer the most of the two. Your feelings are less reconciled to the change than mine. By remaining in the neighborhood, I am, I am become injured to it. She could have said more on the subject, for she had in fact so high an opinion of the Crofts, and desired her father so very fortunate, and considered her father so very fortunate in his tenants, felt the parish to be so sure of a good example, and the poor of the best attention and relief, that however sorry and ashamed for the necessity of the removal, she could not but in conscience feel that they were gone who deserved not to stay, and that Kellen Hall had passed into better hands than its owners. These convictions must unquestionably have their own pain, and severe was its kind, but they precluded that pain which Lady Russell would suffer in entering the house again, and returning through the well-known apartments. In such moments Anne had no power of saying to herself, These rooms ought to, be belo ought to belong only to us. Oh, how fallen in their destination, how unworthily occupied! An ancient family to be so driven away? Strangers filling their place! No, except when she thought of her mother, and remembered where she had been used to sit and preside, she had no sigh of that description to heave. Mrs. Croft always met her with a kindness which gave her the pleasure of fancying herself a favorite, and on the present occasion, receiving her in that house, there was particular attention. The sad accident at Lyme was soon the prevailing topic and on comparing their latest accounts of the invalid, it appeared that each lady dated her intelligence from the same hour of yester-morn, that Captain Wentworth had been in Kellynch yesterday, the first time since the accident, had brought Anne the last note, which she had not been able to trace the exact steps of, had stayed a few, out, a few hours and then returned again to Lyme, and without any present intention of quitting it any more. He had inquired after her, she found, particularly, had expressed his hope of Miss Elliot's not being the worst for her exertions, and had spoken of those exertions as great. This was handsome, and gave her more pleasure than any than almost anything else could have done. As to the sad catastrophe itself, it could be canvassed only in one style by a couple of steady, sensible women, whose uh, judgments had to work on ascertained events, 
and it was perfectly decided that it had been the consequence of much thoughtlessness and much imprudence, that its effects were most alarming, and that it was frightful to think how long Miss Musgrove's recovery might yet be doubtful, and how liable she would still remain to suffer from the concussion hereafter. The admiral wound it up all so wound it all up summarily by exclaiming, "'Aye, a very bad business indeed. A new sort of way, this, for a young fellow to be making love by breaking his mistress's head. Is it not, Miss Elliot? This is breaking a head and giving it a plaster, truly.' Admiral Croft's manners were not quite of the tone to suit Lady Russell, but they delighted Anne. His goodness of heart and simplicity of character were irresistible. "'Now, that must be very bad for you,' he said, suddenly rousing from a little reverie, "'to be coming and finding us here. I had not recollected it before, I believe. I declare, but I must. But it must be very bad. But now do not stand upon ceremony. Get up and go all over all the rooms in the house, if you like.' "'Another time, sir, I thank you. Not now.' "'Well, whenever it suits you, you can slip in from the shrubbery at any time. And there you will find we keep our umbrellas hanging up by the door. A good place, is it not?' But, checking himself, you will not think it a good place, for yours were always kept in the butler's room. Aye, so it always is, I believe. One man's ways may be as good as another's, but we all like our own best. And so you must judge for yourself whether it would be better for you to go about the house or not. Anne, finding she might decline it, did so very gratefully. We have made very few changes either, continued the admiral, after thinking a moment. Very few. We told you about the laundry door at Uppercross. That has been a very great improvement. The wonder was how any family upon earth could bear with the inconvenience of its opening as it did so long. You will tell Sir Walter what we have done, and that Mr. Shepherd thinks it the greatest improvement the house ever had. Indeed, I must do ourselves the justice to say that the few alterations we have made have been all very much for the better. My wife should have the credit of them, however. I have done very little besides sending away some of the large looking-glasses from my dressing-room, which was your father's. A very good man, and very much the gentleman, I am sure. But I should think, Miss Elliot, looking with serious reflection, I should think he must be rather a dressy man for his time of life. Such a number of looking-glasses! Oh, Lord, there are no getting away from oneself! So I got Sophie to lend me a hand, and we soon shifted our their quarters, and now I am quite snug with my little shaving-glass in one corner, and another great thing that I never go near. Anne, amused in spite of herself, was rather distressed for an answer, and the admiral, fearing he might not have been civil enough, took up the subject again to say, The next time you write to your good father, Miss Elliot, pray give my compliments and Mrs. Croft's, and say that we are settled here quite to our liking, and have no fault at all to find with the place. The breakfast-room chimney smokes a little, I grant you, but it is only when the wind is due north and blows hard which may not happen three times a winter, and take it all together now that we have been uh, into most of the houses hereabouts and can judge, there is not one that we like better than this. Pray say so with my compliments. He will be glad to hear it. Lady Russell and Mrs. Croft were very well pleased with each other, but the acquaintance which this visit began was fated not to proceed far at, at present for when it was returned, the Crofts announced themselves to be going away for a few weeks, to visit their connections in the north of the county, and probably might not be at home again before Lady Russell would be removing to Bath. So ended all danger to Anne of meeting Captain Wentworth at Kellynch Hall, or of seeing him in company with her friend. 
Everything was safe enough, and she smiled over the many anxious feelings she had wasted on the subject. Chapter 2 Though Charles and Mary had remained at Lyme much longer after Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove's going than Anne conceived they could have been at all wanted, they were yet the first of the family to be at home again, and as soon as possible after their return to Uppercross they drove over to the lodge. They had left Louisa be beginning to sit up, but her head, though clear, was exceedingly weak, and her nerves susceptible to the highest extreme of tenderness and though she might be pronounced to be altogether doing very well, it was still impossible to say when she might be able to bear the removal home. And her father and mother, who must return in time to receive their younger children from the Christmas holidays, had hardly a hope of being allowed to bring her with them. They had been all in lodgings together. Mrs. Musgrove had got Mrs. Harville's children away as much as she could, every possible Supply from Uppercross had been furnished to lighten the inconvenience to the Harvilles, while the Harvilles had been wanting them to come to dinner every day, and in short, it seemed to have been only a struggle on each side as to which should be most disinterested and hospitable. Mary had had her evils, but upon the whole, as was evident by her staying so long, she had found much uh, more to enjoy than to suffer. Charles Hayter had been at Lyme oftener than suited her, and when they dined with the Harvilles, there had been only a maidservant to wait, and at first Mrs. Harville had always given Mrs. Musgrove precedence, but then she had received so very handsome an apology from her uh, on finding out whose daughter she was, and there had been so much going on every day, there had been so, much, so many walks between their lodgings and the Harvilles, and she had got books from the library and changed them so often, that the balance had certainly been much in favor of Lyme. She had been taken to Charmouth, too, and she had bathed, and she had gone to church, and there were a great many more people to look at in the church at Lyme than at Uppercross. And all this, joined to the sense of being very use so very useful, had made really an agreeable fortnight. Anne inquired after, after Captain Bennock. Mary's face was clouded directly. Charles laughed. Oh, Captain Bennock is very well, I believe, but he is a very odd young man. I do not know what he would be at. We asked him to come home with us for a day or two. Charles undertook to give him some shooting, and he seemed quite delighted. And for my part... Oh, hold on, that's Mary. <laughs> Let me switch. Um, and for my part, I thought it all was all settled, when behold, on Tuesday night, he made a very awkward sort of excuse. He never shot, and had been quite misunderstood. And he had promised this, and he had promised that. And at the end of it, I found that he did not mean to come. I suppose he was afraid of finding it dull, but upon my word I should have thought we were lively enough at the cottage for such a heartbroken man as Captain Bennock. Charles laughed again and said, Now, Mary, you know very well how it really was. It was all your doing, Return, turning to Anne. He fancied that if he went with us he should find you close by. He fancied everybody to be living in Upper Cross, and when he discovered that Lady Russell lived three miles off, his heart failed him, and he had not courage to come. That is the fact upon my honor. Mary knows it. But Mary did not give into it very graciously, whether from not considering Captain Bennock entitled by birth and situation to be in love with an Elliot, or from not wanting to believe Anne a greater attraction to Uppercross than herself, must be left to be guessed. Anne's goodwill, however, was not to be lessened by what she heard. She acknowledged she boldly acknowledged herself flattered and continued her inquiries. Oh, he talks of you, cried Charles, in such terms. 
Mary interrupted him. I declare, Charles, I never heard him mention Anne twice all the time I was there. I declare, Anne, he never talks of you at all. No, Charles, admitted Charles. I do not know that he ever does in a general way. But, however, it is a very clear thing that he admires you exceedingly. His head is full of some book, books that he is reading upon your recommendation, and he wants to talk to you about them. He has found out something or other in one of them which he thinks, Oh, I cannot pretend to remember it, but it was something very fine. I overheard him telling Henrietta all about it. And then Miss Elliot was spoken of in the highest terms. Now, Mary, I declare it was so. I heard it myself, and you were in the other room. Elegance, sweetness, beauty. Oh, there was no end of Miss Elliot's charms. Well, and I am sure, cried Mary warmly, it was very little to his credit if he did. Miss Harville only died last June. Such a heart is ve very little worth having. Is it, Lady Russell? I am sure you will agree with me. I must see Captain Benning before I decide, said Lady Russell, smiling. And that you are very likely to do very soon, I can tell you, ma'am, said Charles, though he had not nerves for coming away with us and setting off again afterwards to pay a formal visit here. He will make his way over to Kellynch one day by himself. You may depend on it. I told him the distance and the road, and I told him of the churches being so very well worth seeing, for as he has a taste of those sort of things, I thought that would be a good excuse, and he listened with all his understanding and soul, and I am sure that his manner that you, uh, will have him calling here soon. So I give you notice, Lady Russell. Any acquaintance of Anne's will always be welcome to me, was Lady Russell's kind answer. Oh, as to being Anne's acquaintance, said Mary, I think he is rather my acquaintance, for I have been seeing him every day this last fortnight. Well, as your joint acquaintance, then, I shall be very happy to see Captain Bennick. You will not find anything very agreeable in him, I assure you, ma'am. He is one of the dullest young men that ever lived. He has walked with me sometimes from one end of the sands to the other without saying a word. He is not at all a well-bred young man. I am sure you will not like him. There we differ, Mary, said Anne. I think Lady Russell would like him. I think she would be very much pleased with his mind, that she would very soon see no uh, deficiency in his manner. So do I, Anne, said Charles. I am, very, I am sure Lady Russell would like him. He is just Lady Russell's sort. Give him a book, and he will read all day long. Yes, that he will, exclaimed Mary tauntingly. He will sit poring over his book, and not know when a person speaks to him, or when one drops one scissors, or anything that, or anything that happens. Do you think Lady Russell would like that? Lady Russell could not help laughing. Upon my word, said she, I shall not have supposed that my opinion of any one could have admitted of such difference of conjecture, steady and manner steady and matter-of-fact as I may call myself. I have really a curiosity to see the person who can give occasion to such directly opposite notions. I wish he may be induced to call here. And when he does, Mary, you must depend upon hearing my opinion, and I am determined not to judge him beforehand. You will not like him, I will answer for it. Lady Russell began talking of something else. Mary spoke with ad uh, animation of their meeting with, or rather seeing, or rather missing, Mr. Elliot so extraordinarily. He is a man, said Lady Russell, whom I have no wish to see. His declining to be on cordial terms with the head of his family has left a very strong impression in his disfavor with me. This decision checked Mary's eagerness and stopped her short in the midst of the El Elliot countenance. With regard to Captain Wentworth, though Anne hazarded no inquiries, 
there was a voluntary communication sufficient. His spirits had been greatly recovering lately, as might be expected. As Louisa improved, he had improved, and he was now quite a different creature from what he had been the first week. He had not seen Louisa, and was so extremely fearful of any ill consequence to her from an interview that he did not press for it at all, and on the contrary seemed to have a plan of going away for a week or ten days till her head was stronger. He had talked of going down to Plymouth for a week, and wanted to persuade Captain Bennock to go with him, but as Charles maintained to the last, Captain Bennock seemed much more disposed to ride over to Killinch. There can be no doubt that Lady Russell and Anne were both occasionally thinking of Captain Bennock from this time. Lady Russell could not hear the doorbell without feeling that it might be his herald, nor could Anne return from any stroll of solitary indulgence in her father's grounds, or any visit of charity in the village, without wondering whether she might see him or hear of him. Pa Captain Bennet came not, however. He was either less discomposed, uh, he was either less disposed for it than Charles had imagined, or he was too shy, and after giving him a week's indulgence, Lady Russell determined him to be unworthy of the interest which he had been beginning to excite. The Musgroves came back to receive their happy boys and girls from school, bringing with them Mrs. Harville's little children, to improve the noise of Uppercross and lessen that of Lyme. Henrietta remained with Louisa, but all the rest of the family were again in their usual quarters. Lady Russell and Anne paid their compliments to them once, when Anne could not but feel that Uppercross was already quite alive again. Though neither Henrietta, nor Louisa, nor Charles Hayter, nor Captain Wentworth were there, the rooms presented as strong a contrast as could be wished to the last state she had seen it in. Immediately surrounding Mrs. Musgrove's were the, Musgrove were the little Harvilles, whom she sedulously guarded from the tyranny of the two children from the cottage, expressly arriving, arrived to amuse them. On one side was a table, occupied by some chattering girls cutting up silk and gold paper, and on the other were trestles and trays, bending under the weight of brawn and cold pies, where riotous boys were holding high revel, the whole completed by the roaring Christmas fire, which seemed determined to be heard in spite of all the noise of the others. Charles and Mary also came in, of course, during their visit, and Mr. Musgrove made a point of paying his respects to Lady Russell, and sat down close to her for ten minutes, talking with a very raised voice, but for the, from the clamor of the children on his knees, generally in vain. It was a fine family piece. Anne, judging from her own tem uh, temperament, would have deemed such a domestic hurricane a bad restorative of the nerves, which Louisa's illness must have so greatly shaken. But Mrs. Musgrove, who got Anne near her on purpose to thank her most cordially again and again for all her attentions to them, concluded a short reca recapitulation of what she had suffered herself by observing, with a happy glance round the room, that after all she had gone through, nothing was so likely to do her good as a little quiet cheer cheerfulness at home. Louisa was now recovering apace. Her mother could even think of her being able to join their party at home before her brothers and sister went to school again. The Harvilles had promised to come with her and stay at Upper Cross whenever she returned. Captain Wentworth was gone for the present to see his brother in Shropshire. "'I hope I shall remember in future,' said Lady Russell as soon as they were reseated in the carriage, "'not to call it Uppercross in the Christmas holidays.' "'Everybody has their taste in noises as well as in other matters, "'and sounds are quite innoxious or, quite, or most distressing "'by their sort rather than their quantity. 
When Lady Russell, not long afterwards, was entering Bath on a wet afternoon and driving through the long course of streets from the old bridge to Camden Place, amid the dash of other carriages, the heavy rumble of carts and drays, the brawling of newsmen, muffinmen and milkmen, and the ceaseless clink of patterns, she made no complaint. No, these were noises which belonged to the winter pleasures. Her spirits rose under their influence, and, like Mrs. Musgrove, she was feeling, though not saying, that, after being long in the country, nothing could be so good for her, for her, for her as a little quiet cheerfulness. Anne did not share these feelings. She persisted in a very determined, though very silent, disinclination for Bath, caught the first dim view of the extensive buildings, smoked in, smoking in rain, without any wish of seeing them better, felt their progress through the streets to be, however disagreeable, yet too rapid, for who would be glad to see her when she arrived, and looked back with fond regret to the bustles of Uppercross and the seclusion of Kellynch. Elizabeth's last letter had communicated a piece of news of some interest. Mr. Elliot was in Bath. He had called in Camden Place, had called a second time, a third, had been pointedly attentive. If Elizabeth and her father did not deceive themselves, had been taking such uh, much pains to seek the acquaintance and proclaim the value of the connection, as he had formerly taken pains to show neglect. This was very wonderful, if it were true, and Lady Russell was in a state of very agreeable curiosity and perplexity about Mr. Elliot, already recanting the sentiment she had so lately expressed to Mary, of his being a man whom she would no wish to see, whom she had no wish to see. She had a great wish she had a great wish to see him. If he really sought to reconcile himself like a dutiful branch, he must be forgiven for having dismembered himself from the paternal, paternal tree. Anne was not animated to an equal pitch by the circumstance, but she felt that she would rather see Mr. Elliot again than not, which was more than she could say for any for many other persons in Bath. She was put down in Camden Place, and Lady Russell then drove to her own lodgings in Rivers Street.